You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Good to see you guys today. And you know, I want you to imagine just for a minute that we brought someone here from another time in history before cell phones were invented and they didn't know the purpose of a cell phone. And you can imagine uh, someone tries to use a cell phone like it's a hammer. That wouldn't be very good, would it? Because it's not the purpose of a cell phone to be used like a hammer. And we know that there are all kinds of different cell phones, aren't there? There are different cell phones that are better at different tasks. There's the flip phone, there's the iPhone, there's, uh, the, what are some other ones? The Galaxy, the, uh, what's another phone, someone? Pixel, that's another one. So there are all kinds of phones out there. And there are also all kinds of hammers, aren't there? There's like the ball bean hammer, there's the jack hammer, there's the Texas hammer, you know, the guy that you can call 444-4444, you know, all different types of hammers. But what we know is, is that there's a different purpose between the hammer and the phone. Have you ever felt like a phone that was being used as a hammer? I remember some years ago, I was working in a job in the marketplace and I was working in corporate training and I enjoyed traveling around and I enjoyed training account executives and managers in the IT field. And I remember one day it dawned on me that perhaps I'm not in the right place. When I was in Chicago, I was staring out a window and I was giving a lesson. I was talking about one thing, but I was dreaming about something else. I was dreaming about what I'm doing today, right now. And have you ever stared out a window and dreamed about doing something different than what you're currently doing? And I came out of that season of my life knowing that my purpose was not just to be a public speaker or a communicator, but it was to communicate a very particular message, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And I came out of that time of life knowing I know who I am, I know what I'm for. I know who I am, and I know what I'm for, and that is what I wish upon everyone here today, that you would know who you are and you know what you're for. Now, certainly, everybody here doesn't have a purpose of being a pastor or a church staff member, right? Your purposes in this life are very diverse. Some of you are called of God to be an accountant or a teacher or um, some type of administrator or um, maybe just parenting or, or whatever, but... Uh, There's so many diverse kinds of purposes represented in this room today, Um, and we've been talking about in this series one idea, and it's simply this that we think will transform us, is that we're a city tribe who helps people who feel far from God to do four things. Would you guys say those out loud with me, even if you're in the video cafe? Here we go. Ready? Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Everything we do is going to fall in one of those four categories. We've been talking about those throughout the weeks, each one. And this week, we're going to kind of drill down on discover purpose. We want you to discover your purpose for your life. Look at what David said in Psalm chapter 57, too. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. God made you with a great purpose in this life, and I believe that each one of you have been given a great purpose in your life to accomplish for God to the betterment of this world. But the question a lot of people ask is, how do I find my purpose, you know? Some of you are walking and living in your current purpose. Some of you are honing your purpose to be more laser-like focused, and others, you're like, I have no idea what my purpose is. Well, my sense is, as I prayed about this and I've thought about this for many, many years, is that you discover your purpose at the intersection of your story, your strengths, and your spirituality. Those three things where they line up, 
you find your purpose at the intersection of your story, your strengths, and your spirituality. Now, we're going to break down each one of those three circles. First, let's take a look at your story. Um, You discover purpose when you look back on your own personal story uh, and you see the hurts and wounds and the different things that have happened to shape your life story. There's this book by Donald Miller, and it's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. In this book, he explains that the best film stories actually have a protagonist or a main character who's had what's called an inciting incident. Inciting incident. And that inciting incident typically is something that's painful, that's hard to endure, that's hard to go through. Like when you go through, uh, your spouse has a heart attack or you get a sudden illness or you lose a loved one or you find out that your spouse was cheating on you. Just things like this can be inciting incidents in your life. And Miller in his book explains that film characters and people for that matter don't really want to change. But what the inciting incidents does is it forces you to make a decision about change. And so when Donald Miller came to terms with his own inciting incident, it caused him to break out of his life routine and try some things and do some different things that he wouldn't have done before. So it caused him to hike the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. It caused him to start riding his bicycle and he was able to train and participate in a bike ride to ride the 3,000 miles across this country. And what he says about living a better story is once you live a good story, you get a taste for a kind of meaning in life and you can't go back to being normal. You can't go back to meaningless scenes stitched together by the forgettable thread of wasted time. And isn't that a great quote? I mean, isn't that true? We don't want to just waste the time in our lives. Time is the only commodity that we can't get back, but we want to walk and operate in our purposes. And I believe that everyone in here has an inciting incident. Uh, You know, there's a scale of how traumatic certain events are in our lives, and some of your inciting incidences are not as intense on that scale, and some are more intense, but everyone has one. And I think about my personal life, what incited me mostly, I mean, a lot of people have inciting incidents that, that involve the sins and the abuse from other people. Mine is basically my own moral failure and addiction from the past where I was trying like crazy to get free of my past addiction and struggle. And as much as I tried, I couldn't get free from it on my own. God had to help me out in that. And what it did was it sharpened the focus of my purpose that I would have to be not just back in the ministry, but I could have to create it. I had to create a church where it's okay not to be okay where people can be honest, open, and authentic about problems that are going on in their lives so that we can get help because you can't get help if you can't be real, you know? And so that's why we have an environment here where we want to restore human beings, people. Like one of our awakened services coming up in February, we're going to restore into the ministry a pastor who had some problems years ago and he submitted himself to a process of repentance, healing, and change. And we are going to uh, endorse him again to go back into ministry. Is anybody besides me on board with restoring people who have struggled? Anybody on board with that? Good. So um, all of the parts of my story led to purpose, and the same is true of you. And so discovering your purpose is where your story lines up with also your strengths. Let's take a look at strengths for just a minute. Um, I'm really honored today because sitting before me is just a goldmine 
of strength and uh, spiritual gifts and abilities, you know? We each have these different kinds of strengths. That's why we always talk about growth track and we want you to go there because you learn about your strengths and spiritual gifts there. Um, growth track happens next Sunday in the cafe after the last service. I think it starts somewhere around two or two thirty or so, but we're all wired uniquely, aren't we? That's why people love taking all these personality tests. You know, anybody into Enneagram, any Enneagram people here, a few of you. Okay. Some people like, uh, Myers-Briggs or, you know, disc test or a strength finder. I'm real high on strength finder. I think it's real practical. Years ago, my first Strength Finder book was Marcus Buckingham's Now Discover Your Strengths. And in that book, it basically surfaces the big idea of the strengths movement, which is that you don't grow as a human being by just trying to improve upon your weaknesses, but you grow as a human being by focusing on honing your strengths, working on your strengths. And so one of the examples that they give in that book is Shaquille O'Neal. When he was playing basketball, he went to the Lakers and his Free throws were the worst in the league. I mean, the guy was awful at free throws. Remember that? You know, it's like throwing a brick, you know. So uh, he, he got to the Lakers, and they said, we're not going to work on your free throws. We're going to work on your game in the paint underneath the basket. And he said, why would we do that? I'm already the best in the league at that. And they said, you could be the best ever at that. And they worked on Shaq's game in the paint under the basket and three years in a row, the Lakers scored more points than anyone else in the league. They won three championships during that time. And as a side bonus, Shaq's free throws got better. They were just really bad instead of the worst, okay? So <laughs> this is the power of working in your strengths, see? Um, let me show you some examples of some strengths. I can't go over all of them for the sake of time today, but there's the activator. You're an activator if you're really good at taking thoughts and bringing them into fruition, into action. And some of you are developers. You're really good at helping people develop their skills and ability. Some of you have futuristic, where you can cast a vision for a more preferred future for someone. You inspire people towards the future, your future-minded. And I would suggest if you want to learn your strength finder strengths, look at the newest iteration of the book that's added a few strengths. It's Strength Finder 2.0 from Gallup. And what you do is you get that book in the back. They have a little code and a website. You punch in the code when you go to the website and you can get the strengths assessment. It's really practical, really helpful. But here's the deal. Those of us that are in Christ, not only do we have Myers-Briggsness and strengths from Strength Finder, but we have an added bonus that we get when the Holy Spirit comes into us. We have spiritual gifts. Let me show you one passage that mentions the spiritual gifts, 1 Peter 4.10. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to, here's the purpose of them, to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you wanted to study the spiritual gifts more, you could go to the book of Romans, you could go to Ephesians, you could go to 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, and look at spiritual gifting there as well. Um, but they're the supernatural 
gifts like tongues and prophecy and healing. If you want to learn more about those, you can go back to some of our podcasts where we've dealt with those things in these services. But then there are some other spiritual gifts. Uh, for example, administration. You know, if you have the gift of administration, you're really good at organizing things and putting things together. Uh, some people have the gift of giving. You know, we're all supposed to be generous, but some people just have a knack for finding a need and being able to meet that need mostly financially. Uh, there's the gift of helps, people that are just really good at handling practical matters around the body of Christ, like people with the helps gift just love to just clean up or set up chairs, whatever is most practical. And then there's the gift of leadership, you know, where um, you have the gift of leadership, people just get behind you and follow you. Some people have artistic craftsmanship that's a little less known. Spiritual gift, you can find it. Look at Exodus 31, verse 1, and you can see I've called um, by name Bezalel, great name for a kid if you're pregnant, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs. So hopefully I just gave you, you know, a broad sweep of some of the different spiritual gifts that are out there that are available to believers um, as we're filled with the Spirit of God. But people ask me all the time, well, how do I figure out my spiritual gift? Well, conventional wisdom says, and this is a good step, is that number one, you can take those spiritual gift assessments. You've seen those? Um, we, we give you some of those at Growth Track. I brought for you today five different free spiritual gifts assessments. You can take a picture of it with your phone. If you don't want to mess with that right now, we'll post it on our social media. But here's what I recommend you do, is that you take all five of them and look for the patterns, see? But, and, and here's why. Because it's, these spiritual gift assessments are not like inspired by the Holy Spirit or something, right? It's just people trying to put together questionnaires to help you to figure out what your spiritual gifts are. And so that's why I say do a broad stroke, you know, you know, go to a lot of different tests and assessments, take them and look for the patterns that you see. But I can tell you this is after many, many years of helping people find their spiritual gifts, after many years of watching people take these gift tests and stuff, the thing that helps you find your gifting the most is number two. And that is start doing a gift. You know how you figured out how to use your computer? You pressed a button. And you have to press the button to know uh, what makes it work. Gifts have to be exercised in order to be realized. And so when you put the gift into practice and serving in some capacity, it helps you to see if you have that gift. You know, there are some people that say, well, go take a test and figure out your gift and then start ministering. But I say it's the opposite. You start ministering and sure you can take the assessment, start ministering, and then you will discover your gifts. Pray and ask God for a passion for a particular gift, you know? If it's like leadership, you're drawn to that, start leading something and seeing if someone's following you. You know what I'm saying? Because if nobody follows you, you're just taking a walk. You're not leading and you don't have that gift. Well, look at teaching. Some people, if you have the gift of teaching, man, just try and teach anyone and see if they listen, you know, see if it works out. Uh, if you want the biblical gift of tongues, you know, get in a room, pray to God and say, hey, God, you know, I'm going to start making a sound and then see what happens. If you want the gift of like artistic craftsmanship, start painting something, creating something and see if it works out. And I can tell you this, the first time 
that I ever spoke in public. You know, we read from First Peter, it says, if you have the other speaking or whatever. And I got up and I tried it, right, the first time. And I was in front of my youth group. You know, I was a teenager at the time. You know, I was very self-conscious, you know. I used to be skinny back then. My legs were even skinnier. I had, like, parentheses legs. And I was shaking because I was nervous, you know. And I was trying to give this talk. And I was just so nervous and self-conscious, you know. My big eyebrows, you know, a few zits and whatever. And it's like, man, I, and I, I broke down in the middle of my talk. And I was like, oh, guys, I'm so sorry. This is so awful, man. And I just broke down in the middle of it. And my youth pastor encouraged me. And there was a factor that helped me uh, try it again. I'll show you in just a minute. Um, but I was encouraged. And then the second time I gave a talk, I have no idea why they did this, but they let me stand up. I was a young guy. They let me stand up in front of our whole church and give a talk. And man, I was prepared and I was ready. And I gave the talk and it went well. And people came and affirmed that in me. And one spiritual guy said, man, I think you found your sweet spot. And so that helped me uh, get there. But uh, as you're discovering your spiritual gifts, four things need to align. Let me show them to you. Number one is a need. You know, your gifts are not given to you so that you can like be some kind of spiritual rock star. Your gifts are given to you, First Peter says, to serve. And so find a need first where there's a genuine need and then try and meet it and help it. But also your passion. The reason that I was able to get back up and try and give a talk again is because I was passionate about it and I was willing to learn from my mistakes the first time and get up and try it again. And sometimes when you try it um, and it doesn't work out, that doesn't mean that it's not your gift. But if you have enough passion to give you the gumption to step up and try it again and get on the horse and ride again when you've been knocked off, that might be your gift. But faith over fear is involved too. Because a lot of times for you to step out in faith and try one of these passions of yours, um, it's going to be scary. You're going to put yourself out there. Um, also, the affirmation of the tribe. A lot of times, if, you have, if you're in spiritual community, in a tribe, whatever, you'll have people in your life that love you. And they'll tell you. They have your best interests in mind, uh, interests, and they'll tell you, hey, look, man, you've you've been doing this many, many times. And man, I'm not trying to be rude. You know, I love you. And I'm not trying to like discourage you, but I don't, I think God has something else for you. You know, I don't think this is God's path for your life, you know, and you can trust them. Um, but they'll also tell you that this is right, man, that people are served when you, when you operate in this particular gift. Now, our spiritual enemy is not intimidated when the majority of us just sit around and watch two or three people in their giftedness, is he? But I tell you this, the enemy trembles when we mobilize and we step up and a large number of us start operating in our spiritual gifts. That's why we introduced Growth Track is because we want to mobilize the gifts in you. We want to see you rise up with your spiritual gifts and your strength to be able to serve the kingdom of God and make our spiritual enemy tremble. And that's why I wanted to stop the service at this point and do what we call an impartation prayer. And so let's bow to the Lord in prayer. We're going to ask God for spiritual gifts. And if you're comfortable to do so, just hold out your hand in a position to receive. Um, and so by faith, let's go before the Lord now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to do your work. Lord, we come 
expecting. Holy Spirit, we ask you for an impartation of spiritual gifts, gifts that are going to be used to bring glory to Jesus, gifts that are going to build your kingdom, Jesus. Whatever gifts you want to impart, we pray in agreement with your will, Father. We say, yes, Father, we receive only what is of you. And so I want you to repeat this part of the prayer out loud with me. You ready? God, I, re I choose to receive spiritual gifts. From your Holy Spirit, in the awesome name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Man, for some of you, you may not have felt a lightning bolt, but something just got imparted to you that's going to change your life. Now, we've seen how we have to find our story and our strengths, but the third part is we find our purpose and our spirituality. Our spirituality plays a big key in that. And this is what makes our tribe a little bit different than others because we believe that God gives us spiritual words, pictures, and experiences that lead us in our purpose in this life. And some people kind of over-mystify spirituality. They make it sound like you're just, you know, standing around meditating, contemplating on your navel or something like that. And it's not that at all. You know what biblical spirituality is? Is submitting your life to the loving lordship of Jesus. And I chose those words carefully because Jesus is loving. His heart and his intent for you and I is good. It's good. But he is the Lord. He runs stuff. And he doesn't come to take your side. He comes to take over is what he does. And so when we submit to his loving will for our lives and his loving purpose, when we submit to him, we get these words from him of stuff that he wants us to do. You know why? We're sitting here at this place worshiping in the heart of the city today because some years ago, God gave me an experience, a word to plant a church here in the inner city. You know why there's going to be a great church in the Deco district of our inner city is because Pastor Humby had an experience with God where God spoke a word to him. And so next year sometime, we hope to plant that church. Isn't that going to be awesome? But uh, look, at, look at that. Yeah, give it up for that. But what I want you to understand are these spiritual experiences and words from God are not just for pastors. It's way not just for pastors. It's for you. He wants to speak something to you. And you know, a lot of people know about the great apostle Paul, right? It used to be Saul, then his name changed to, to Paul. And, you know, we're, we're worshiping in a place called St. Paul Square, right? Because everybody knows about Paul and his spiritual experience with Jesus on the road and uh, how he wrote much of the New Testament. But very few people know about a little bit more obscure character named Ananias. And I want to show you Ananias' story as it's connected to Paul's in Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 10. It says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Now what it says there, there was a believer. He didn't have some big fancy title. He didn't consider himself to be a big deal, just a believer. And look what happened next. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision, a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Now stop there for a minute. 
You see what's going on? At this point, Ananias is afraid. He's afraid because Saul has the power to arrest him if he goes. And here's what happens. When the Lord gives you a spiritual experience, a prompting in your heart to do something for him is that fear will be a part of the equation. There's an opportunity to not do what God does as well as do what God does. And here's what happens a lot of times. People have a spiritual experience. God prompts them to do something. And they come down to the church and they want to counsel with me or another pastor, another staff member. And basically what they're asking is, how can we somehow get around the fear risk component here? How can I do what God told me to do without risking something? And I got to tell you, there is no way around it. Okay. You have to go through that fear by faith. Everybody wants to know, well, how can I do it where I'm not risking something financially or relationally or in some other way? No, there's no way around the risk. I wish I knew that because I don't want you to have to go through that, but there's no way around the risk. And that was the case with Ananias and it's the case with us. But look at the next part of the story. But the Lord said, go, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit instantly. Check out what happened. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. You know, there are three different Ananiases in the New Testament. This one we don't know much about, but we do know this, that he had one job to do. It's like his purpose was wrapped up in one thing, to take a risk, to go to Saul, lay hands on him and pray for him. And when Saul was changed by the power of those prayers and the Holy Spirit, Saul changed the known world when he became the Apostle Paul. And here's what I want some of you to know. God's given you one thing to do, one thing. Some of you are raising children right now, and it's not as glamorous as your job once was. But you raised that kid to love God. Some of you are called to be accountants and write computer code and all sorts of things. But you do the one thing that he's asked you to do and you'll change this world. There was a 10 year old kid who had a story and part of his story was when he was younger, he was in a really bad auto accident and in the auto accident, his left arm was mangled so badly that his left arm had to be amputated. So his left arm being gone is significant to the story. Would you just say left arm with me real quick, Larry? Left arm, okay, so it was gone, it was amputated. That's his story. Well, at about 10 years old, this boy decided to learn judo, and his parents got him in with this Japanese master sensei of judo, and he starts taking these lessons, and the guy's teaching him this one move, and he's been training with this sensei for like three months, and he's only learned one move, and the kid says to the sensei, hey, sensei, you know, shouldn't I be learning more moves than just this one move? And the sensei says, no. You will learn one move and one move only. And he kept training. It came time for the first tournament. And so the kid goes to the tournament and his first two matches, he wins pretty easily. It kind of surprises him, in fact. He uses his one move and he wins two matches. Well, the third match is a little bit harder. 
and gets into that match and he's being overpowered, but the guy gets a little impatient. His opponent comes at him, charges in. He uses his one move. He wins that match. And he's like, he's so surprised that he's won all these matches and now he's in the finals. And so he gets to the finals and his opponent is this bigger, stronger, more experienced in judo kid, you know? And so this big kid comes at him and they're going at it and the referee stops it because he's like, this little kid, this kid, this boy's going to get hurt. And his sensei steps in and says, no, you let this match goes on, go on. He's going to be fine. Well, finally, the, the bigger guy comes at him, gets a little bit careless. He uses his one move and he, he pins him and he, he wins this judo match. He's the champion. He's, he's won his first tournament. And so they're driving home and they're in this conversation talking about the different moves, every move that was used, you know, in the entire tournament of every match. And then finally, the boy gets up the nerve to ask the sensei a question. He's like, sensei, you got to tell me, man, how did I win that tournament with, I'm just so surprised. I mean, how did I win this tournament with one move? And the sensei said, it's broken down in, in two answers to that question. Number one, you have almost mastered one of the most difficult moves in all of judo. But number two, the only known defense for that move that you've learned is for your opponent to grab your left arm. Listen, some of you have stories and you think that it makes you less than. That's what you're thinking. You've been led to believe that. It's not true. And God has given you a move. He's given you spiritual gifts, strengths, and abilities. And if you listen to our sensei, Jesus, our master, do exactly as he tells you. You're unstoppable. You cannot be stopped. With that in mind, how about we bow for prayer and let's pray and ask God to give us some spiritual experiences today to direct us in our purpose. And as we bow before him, I had the sense that God brought someone here today to have the experience of being born again, of getting to know Jesus. So you just say to him, look, God, I I choose to believe today that Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. I welcome you into my life. And then there are others of us that my sense is there's someone else that's been around church for a long time and has grown very skeptical of God and spiritual things and the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying, God, would you break through all that and speak today in these moments? We cancel every assignment of the enemy and we release the Father's love. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself. Give spiritual experiences in the midst of this prayer right now. Give words, pictures, thoughts. Pour out to overflow. We want more from you, Holy Spirit. God, break through and speak to us. We want the experiences that come from you, Jesus, not from some counterfeit from the enemy. Give us the experiences that give us purpose. Jesus, mobilize us to know who we are and what we're for. And so as we continue in prayer, we just be silent for a little bit and listen. Just be silent and listen and watch for a vision, a word, a picture, a thought in your heart and mind, a prompting.
as we continue in prayer. If God has given someone a picture or a word, just slip your hand up. I'm not going to point you out and embarrass you. Just slip your hand up. Some bunch of us got words all over this room. Yeah, yeah. God, I pray you continue to reward these words and visions and pictures and experiences that are from you. And we ask you for the faith to step forward in obeying your good plan for our lives. So thank you for what you're doing in the midst of our church, the good work. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.